Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Web Radio dot com. Coming after, um, coming at you after a little bit of a hiatus, some weather-related items. Um, just a uh, lot's been going on in the world. Um, you know, we've had a, a bevy of, of, of tropical storm and hurricane-related activity really impact the United States. Um, the uh, We don't even hear about Hurricane Harvey anymore in Texas. I'm not sure how the rebuild effort's going on there. It looked like that was more uh, a lot of flooding that happened in the Houston area, and uh, for the most part, it seems that um, yeah, the waters have receded over there and things are getting back to normal. In Florida, which was hit pretty hard by Hurricane Irma, um, 99% of the power has been restored, according to the uh, Florida Power Light Company that I read up on. It may even be up to 100% by now. So uh, the continental United States seems to be recovering some of these efforts to rebuild the houses and, and hotels and, and restaurants and shops and the keys that were destroyed. Uh, looks like that could take a very long time. And I am worried a little bit about what this is going to do to insurance rates, Dave. I mean, the that's what you know the Democrats and the liberals don't understand when they think of these natural disasters is economic stimulus is first of all the insurance companies lose a ton of money i i, I mean they're going to be probably losses of over a hundred billion dollars for just these two and we haven't even talked about maria in uh, puerto rico we'll get to that in a little bit but uh, what happens is they lose money then they ask the insurance commissioners if they can raise rates and if they can show they've lost money then the insurance commissioner will b- pretty much give them the right to raise rates. And you were just talking about you needing a new roof, and, you know, that's kind of the way the insurance market works. Well, I'll beg to argue with you a little bit. Um, as you know, or you may not know, we have a, a, a sponsor that's in the insurance business. And insurance companies, I, I assume you're aware of this, uh, they, like mortgage brokers, sell their paper. And um, they buy insurance on their insurance. Were you aware of that? Yes, it's called reinsurance. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, uh, our insurance person that uh, only he only insures uh, cars, classic cars primarily, and um, he's gonna he's not gonna come out smelling like a rose, obviously. But uh, it's not as serious as it could be, and then. Uh, much of his paper is is uh, with Lloyd's of London, Lords of London, and mm-hmm. uh, other people right. that that buy the reinsurance. Yep. And so, you know, I don't, and I think the insurance rates, I think there will be some uh, going up, but um, not, I don't think it'll be as bad as uh, as what you're saying. By the way, I wanted to thank you uh, uh, when you came in that. Uh, uh, you you didn't take a knee. I, I do appreciate. <laughs> I really, I honestly appreciate that, Greg. And yeah, you know I don't let um, you know millionaire prima donnas influence the way I act. You know I, I don't know. I just that's a, a policy that I have uh, ingratiated myself with, and uh, you know we're looking at this, and it's you know it's just another one of these distractions but it's also a little bit of a coordinated effort i think from the left right to tear down these historical um 
I guess, symbols that we've had. Uh, the If you look at it, the, back in 2009, the military came to uh, an, an understanding with the NFL, and they paid them a lot of money to start paying uh, for the national anthem to be played. And in it, the theory was to make the league look more patriotic. I, I, I mean, I've been to plenty of NFL games before, and most football fans are patriotic. We don't need to necessarily have the teams out there to approve our patriotism. What do you think it, about that? I agree. Did you see what, and I wish the public really would grasp onto this. I, I, they probably didn't hear it on television, and they probably won't hear it right now. But do you realize the NFL is into the public for $1.1 billion? Our tax dollars have been building their stadiums. We, we support the NFL. You know, while we look at the owners and that, and they're great, and they're, you right. know, they, it's just like uh, the little Falcon Stadium down here. Uh, taxpayers have paid for that sucker. Oh, yeah. That's and been subsidized bigly. Know, I'm, <laughs> so. You know, I'm personally, I'm tired of it. And, uh, you know, they make plenty of money. They don't need my tax dollar. Uh, they might can use yours, but they sure don't need mine. Yeah, well, that's the thing is the um, the initial estimate for the taxpayers in Georgia was two hundred million, I believe, for Mercedes Benz Stadium. I believe that number's up to four hundred million, and it's a little bit of an open checkbook because we have to pay for all of the security around there, and there's some long term bonds, and it's a it's a real good deal for a billionaire if you can get one. Um, yeah. You know, Arthur Blank has pledged to keep the uh, yeah, concessions low: two dollar hot dogs, three dollar nachos. I believe you can get a Coke for two bucks and free refills. I have been there. I went to the preseason game with one of our guests, uh, Nate Porter, when he was on here, talked about Bitcoin and uh, a couple other things. Uh, so I went there. It's it's a nice stadium. Everybody's been ooing and aahing over it. And uh, I just wish that the people that negotiated these deals would actually negotiate a percentage of the concession revenue or the parking revenue or some kind of revenue where the taxpayers would actually get some of their money back and not just because we have eight NFL home games every year. I mean, I don't know. Is it too much to ask? The Braves weren't were not able to do this. Uh, the the Falcons negotiations were not. I don't think the the people negotiating the Hawks and the Phillips remodel is are, are, are even looking at that. It's not it's not that difficult. One percent of sales concessions is an ongoing revenue stream to pay for all of the upgrades and the day to day maintenance of a stadium. That should be that should be a square deal. What's, what's wrong with that is it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. we, we don't want to make sense. We should just and, be giving away the farm, that's, right? That's it. Speaking but I, what do you think of this kneeling? I, I have my own personal opinion, which you can yeah, – I don't even have to tell you what it is. I'm sure you <laughs> – Well, you're a veteran of the Army, so I'm, I'm imagining that you look at uh, people that, that don't have the, the temerity to stand for the national anthem or disrespecting – what you and, and some of your uh, fellow soldiers did and, and what our ongoing efforts are. Um, for me, I, you know, it is a, it is also a sign of freedom of speech, so I'm a little bit torn. I think it makes the NFL players look uh, a little bit like prima donnas and, and spoiled, of course, because they are getting big paychecks for playing a game at the end of the day. Um, I, you know, we're talking about how people can help out. Jennifer Lopez just wrote a $1 million check to help out folks in Puerto Rico. 
So I would encourage everybody that's boycotting the NFL or, or that are, is, has canceled their tickets or is burning their Roethlisberger jersey to invest some of your money in helping uh, restore that island. We have 3.4 million American citizens that are without power, without infrastructure, without hope right now. So uh, I do think that we could positively divert some of our money uh, in that effort because right now so many people – the NFL, I think, is in a lot of trouble by trying to support this unpatriotic display. That, that I, I think they're having a, a very bad public relations uh, disaster. And, you know, with Trump, who's apparently become infatuated with this, it's an ongoing thing right now. You know, I – and again, I, I sort of disagree with you on "quote unquote" freedom of speech. Certainly, one of our, our fundamental rights is the freedom of speech. But what they're doing is uncontemplated, and it's not really freedom of speech. Um, they have every right, personally, to express their opinion. But when a 12-year-old is playing in whatever football league or in his junior high school football or high school football. Mm-hmm. He sees these guys doing that. They're going to imitate. They're going to emulate. And it's wrong. And and I think every it, they should stand in reverence to the our to the Star Spangled Banners and to the flag on being unfoiled. Just to show, if if they want to if they want to make a say a statement, make a message, it's that they stand. You know, even when they were standing there, they'd be waving around and you know, all this kind of. <laughs> they should stand as close to attention as they can, and that would be a big announcement that we support our country that says we have freedom of speech. Right. Well, I agree Instead with that. Instead of this bull going yeah, out Yeah, because on the to me, it's like setting up a hashtag on Twitter. It means nothing, right? When these these celebrities, you know, take selfies of them with a dour look on their face and, you know, put a hashtag like, bring back our girls, right? That How long did that last? A couple of weeks. So is this is this going to be some kind of fad? I, I do hope it's a fad because I agree with the, the long-lasting impact of if, you know, our, our, our kids growing up in, in, in college or uh, in, in elementary school, middle school and high school, if they're seeing, you know, uh, NFL players acting in, I don't, insubordination is maybe not the right word, but it's about their bad role models, what right? What the hell has our country done to them instead of what have they done for our country? Right. You know, our country has made poor street kids phenomenally rich, made We've a forum for great athletes, right? What exactly? What is our we, country? We, we have a country that's sense? allowed people to play a sport and achieve massive wealth and public notoriety. I think that's a way to say you it. You hit right? it on the head. So you know that's, and we've also built a country that, if you do apply yourself, there's plenty of, of of success stories from all across the country, from Appalachia, from the inner city, from suburbia, from wherever. That children that apply themselves and go to school and dedicate themselves to the, to studying, they can get a good, high-paying job regardless of what their background was. And, and to me, that's something that we're losing in this discussion as well. And how it, many of those apes have gotten a college education because they had the had athletic abilities? Well, you know, that's the thing is the. Um, 
you know, everybody that has, wants to go to school certainly has had the the chance to. And um, you know, as a, I went to public school my whole career, you know, um, went to University of Georgia and had a scholarship there with the academics. But are, um, are they certainly football this year? We are. Well, in fact, uh, you, we're going to have to do a new program on that one. We're uh, we're doing pretty well so far. Now we're walking into Rocky Top this Saturday, and that's my mom's school. So um, you know I can pull really hard, and they really broke our hearts last year with that hail mary. So, um, but uh, you know, at any rate, the you know most of these universities that are giving away the scholarships, they are um, doing their best to teach the uh, the student athletes. And a lot of them, I, it's been amazing, but I've been on LinkedIn, and there's a lot of former UGA players that are now um, obviously not playing in the NFL anymore, but they've got very professional profiles on LinkedIn. They're in financial planning, business services. So, you know, a, a, a flagship school like UGA or Georgia Tech, which both finished in the top 16 recently of best public schools in the United States, that's something that we can hang our hats on, and that's what we need to be focused on, not this disorganized protest that it, you know I think a lot of the the players are doing it because it's some kind of fad will it continue um it's hard to say right a lot, a lot of fads a lot it, of them don't even know what they protest well that's the thing they end up fading over time they were protesting maybe what Donald Trump I think the protest has changed a little bit as well uh Kaepernick had his own motives for uh protesting the guy that kind of originated this not standing for the national anthem but the latest round of protests seem to be in direct response to Donald Trump's uh, tweets, um, you know, about NFL behavior. So, you know, we kind of have two different protests going on. And I would really I would really like to see the president take a more unifying tone on this. I do think there are bigger issues. In fact, several years ago, he had talked about the president. Obama not trying to take away the Washington Redskins name that there were bigger issues so I think the president should maybe take his own advice we'll be back in a couple minutes Carolyn Fisher is joining us she's the first vice chair of the Georgia GOP see you in a minute on Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare but for many the government mandate caused more problems than it solved this is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare Liberty HealthShare Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. 
These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. And now I'm so excited to have my great friend, Carolyn Fisher, join us. Carolyn's the newly elected uh, first chair of the state Georgia GOP party. And uh, welcome to Greg's, Carolyn. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you doing, good friend? Well, I am doing amazing. Uh, I'm glad to hear everything's getting better uh, on your end with your um, your feet and uh, well, literally yeah. back literally back on your feet again, right? Yes, <laughs> so. I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> so, yeah, because I wanted to see, I mean, you had gotten off to a really great start and then had your uh, little um, mishap at the house. And uh, just t- kind of tell us what's going on with, uh, with with Carolyn, what you're doing for the, for the state party and some of the positive momentum that I've seen coming out of it well we are really i'm i'm just absolutely thrilled at the direction the state party is going um we're actually making money raising money and um i'm we're real happy about that because we were not doing too well um the big thing that's happening now is that uh secretary ben carson is coming to town um and he'll be here october 30th down at the Georgia International Convention Center, and um, anybody that wants to come is is welcome to come. Um, John uh, Watson, our chairman, has knocked $100 off of the guest tickets, and um, if anybody wants to go... Uh, they can call. Can I give the name, the number, and the absolutely? Name? Yeah, this is uh, normally these these plates are two hundred and fifty dollars a plate. I did get the uh, email yesterday from Ryan Teague, who sent out the uh, the blast about this cool event uh, at the end of October, and I did notice that the tickets had been dropped uh, drastically in the uh, the headline price. So yeah, that's awesome news. Yeah, it's a, they're one hundred and fifty rather than a two than two hundred and fifty, which is a pretty good deal, I think, for Secretary Carson. Um, they can call um, 404-509-1276 if they're interested in, in tickets. It's going to be at the Georgia International Convention Center on October the 30th, and it begins at 6 o'clock. And that's down near the airport, so you could actually take MARTA if you want to prove that you're a, uh, a green energy Republican, right? <laughs> well, you could. You could take MARTA, but then I think you... I don't know that it goes all the way there. I think then you'd have to take a bus oh. after you got to the airport. Two two, um, two transits? I don't think so. I'm Yeah, driving. I think so. I think I would... No telling where I would wind <laughs> two, for, two, two forms of transit? No way. I can do one, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, me too. Actually, I've actually we've done that before. I went. In fact, our next guest, Todd Reem, and I, we um, took Marta down to the airport. I think it, it might have even been to this same place. And when we got to the airport, we actually got on the hotel bus and it took us to the yeah, event. Yeah, you have to do that. It was like a five because the event was like at four thirty or 
5 p.m. on a Friday, and I was like, you know, there's no way I'm going to drive down to the airport in this kind of traffic. And, um, yeah, it was a pretty neat experiment, and uh, we were able to pull it off. So I may end up doing that for uh, this event, and obviously with uh, Dr. Carson being the secretary of HUD now. And from what I've been able to tell, he's been doing a good job. And ba- when, when the liberals are quiet, that means that somebody's on the right is doing exactly. a good job that even they can't attack and assail because we know that they love to attack and assail anybody that doesn't agree with their narrow world vision. That is true. You are so right. He's a good man. Yep. I'm really excited that we were able to get him. Yeah, I, you know, and I got to tell you, we, um, you know, the, the GOP has a nice buzz around it now, and especially with all of the positive momentum we see coming at the state level, where once again, Georgia was named the number one state in which to do business. Amazon, I think, uh, I read their request for proposal yesterday, and it's mm-hmm. like they're begging for city of Atlanta and Georgia to make them an offer for their uh, second headquarters, which would, in theory, employ about 50,000 uh, high-paid folks. Um, they do want a place that has public transit, which we do. Uh, not all of Metro Atlanta does, but um, so you know, there's certainly a northwest, east-west, or east-west, north-south corridor for MARTA, and uh, we do have bus service in DeKalb County, Fulton County, that's pretty robust. Uh, not no pun intended, but uh, what do you think about a company mm-hmm. like that? Or uh, yeah, a company like that coming in, Carolyn? What do you think that would do for Georgia? Oh, I think it'd be absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I believe. Amazon is based in Washington State. Yep, Seattle, I believe, and, is there. Uh, uh, yes, my son actually is going to school and delivers uh, when he's uh, when he's not in class. He delivers packages for for Amazon, and um, it's a great, it's an absolutely great country. But you know, who knows what kind of regulations they have on Amazon out in uh, Washington State? It's a kind of a it's an entirely different world out there. Uh, a real, it's just an entirely different mm-hmm. world. So there may not, you know, they may be one of the reasons could be that there are not as many regulations on them. I think it would be an, an amazing thing to have um, Amazon come and probably they that would bring a lot of jobs for people like my son who, you know, are going to school and they can, on their off hours, they can deliver deliver packages. I think it's a great idea. I mean, any business that we can attract and is going to um, increase our local economy is a good thing. Yep. And, uh, you know, with them bringing the uh, the infrastructure that would come as well, I think is a big boon. They also bought Whole Foods and immediately started lowering prices so you don't actually spend your whole paycheck at Whole Foods I anymore. Know. I still, right. I'm still more of a, a savvy shopper. You know, I like to go to the, the farmer's markets, the local produce places. There's a great butcher shop in Tucker that I've been going to recently. But for, for those who do feel like Whole Foods is their, uh, their, their grocer of choice, then Amazon uh, acquired them has certainly lowered their grocery bill significantly. Um, so what you, you've got to look at the, um, you know, obviously we're looking at the 2018 elections now. Uh, the governor and all the constitutional offices are up. We've got several good candidates on the Republican side. But I think the biggest problem the Democrats have is Georgia's momentum under Republican leadership is impossible to deny. I don't know what the Democrats' story is going to be as to why we should reverse course and put them back in charge after all the progress that we've been making over the past 12 to 15 years. Well, let's just hope that that the citizens of Georgia don't look at what's going on in D.C. right now and the way that the Republicans are not getting along 
and say, hey, you know, we're just going to vote Democrat. <laughs> um, even here at the state level. Let's just hope that that doesn't yeah. I'm very, very concerned about 2018 nationally. I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned that we're going to lose the House. Um, it, you know, and I, I just, I don't know what will, uh, it's going to be, a, it will be a terrible thing if we do. Is that, really is that some of the, the, the scuttlebutt that you're hearing, that we're, we're tr- not trending well in a national d- manner? No, that's just me. <laughs> being, that's just me being a wise old woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of wise, i, I got to give you credit for the, uh, you know, the ousting of Mark Richt. You've been a, a fan of, get, of, of making the change at UGA for quite some time. We've had many a colorful debate on uh, Facebook about it, but uh, after what we've seen the past uh, couple years with the, the recruiting going getting so much better and the uh, standards seeming to be raised so much at UGA, i got to give you props for that. So uh, you were well, right. <laughs> it's a real, it's, a, it's just a joy to see Kirby Smart, a real bulldog, come home, and, you know, I'm just happy that, you know, ESPN gives you these little alerts um, on your on your telephone if you have their app. And I kept hearing that little app I'm, all the time at 2 <laughs> o'clock in the morning about a uh, Georgia player being arrested. <laughs> and it just, you know, I haven't heard one. And so um, I'm, it, I'm very happy about that. Uh, our football team is huge. I, I can't, I mean... If you watched that te- watched it on TV like I had to do um, this past weekend, the muscles on those guys, it's just amazing, the strength and conditioning that they've been given. And uh, we were really lacking in that, I yeah. think. Well, and I think having the, the quality programs, even you know with Georgia Tech, our, our friends, the, the North Avenue Trade School, having quality uh, programs at both of those, I think it really does help out their academics, too, because you get this kind of synergy. Obviously, the Hope Scholarship has been a big um, point of uh, keeping some of our, our best uh, students in state, although there are some that will argue that we're still losing the valedictorians of the best schools to the Ivy League, but I think that that would happen kind Anyway, the Ivy League still does have this um, kind of uh, atmosphere of wow, we're the best in the uh, country, and you got to if your kid's a high achiever, you got to send them to the Northeast so they can be brainwashed by Northeast liberals. But um, I think, I mean, having gone back to UGA and speaking at the college Republican events, uh, I mean, we had a very smart class back when I started in 1993, but. Um, I gotta say, the kids there, I, th- I think, would run laps around uh, around the average person when I was there. But uh, I don't want to sound too defeatist. I'm sure I could still hang in with the intellectual breed these days. But the uh, the, the crop of student has just gone up everywhere. You look at the Georgia Southern, the Georgia States, uh, the Kennesaws. All of those schools have become much much better over the past 20 years, and really give our students a lot of viable options for regular school and for graduate school. And um, I think having quality uh, athletics at these things. A lot of people condemn athletics as, oh, it's the Roman version of breads and circuses, or the American version of bread and circuses for the masses. But uh, the reality is people like being entertained and not uh, having to always be so engaged in, in politics all the time. And that's, uh, we got to 
just wrap up here in a second, Carolyn. But that's I think what's been the problem with the uh, the NFL protests is people are watching football because they want to get away from everything. And when you know these national news media and the the players themselves are are, are inserting politics and protests into it, I think it's very self defeating for the NFL on the long term. I do too, and I think it's a, a real shame that. These guys are absolutely are actually protesting against a country that has afforded them the opportunity to be in a business, which in it, the NFL is a business. Um, uh, it, it's just you know it's horrible. I mean, they're able to make a good salary and and have you know good things for their families, and yet they want to disrespect that country that has allowed them to do that. I think wasn't there a um, a two teams that played in London or in the UK this weekend yep. and they sat down Jacksonville yeah Jacksonville and Baltimore and I I, I was um, still recovering from our big win on Saturday by the time that game yeah. started but apparently they they stood up for God save the queen and then sat for the anthem so that that is pretty uh, um, c- that's behavior that we we as a society should condemn. It's great to have your protests here. There's a right way and a wrong way to protest it, and um, just that I think is the epitome of the wrong way. Carolyn Fisher, I really appreciate you calling in today. We've got a got to run here, but I'm glad to hear you are literally back on your feet and doing such a great job for the uh, the Georgia Republican Party. Can't wait to see you at the next event. Me either, and good. To, it's always good to see you and to talk to you, Greg. Yep. Tell, give Todd Ring my best. I sure will. We'll see you on the other side of the break. You are listening to Greg's List. Bye, Carolyn. Bye-bye. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home for serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. We should have uh, Todd Ream from Georgia Pundit calling in here any second now. We just wrapped up with Carolyn Fisher, the uh, the state party at the Georgia GOP. The new officers were... Um, 
they won their positions at the convention in June, and uh, you know, from from everything I've seen, they've been doing a, a really good job. And uh, gotta take the hats off to John Watson and Carolyn Fisher and Carmen Foskey, the new executive director down there. Y'all are doing a great job, and uh, looking forward to um, this event with Dr. Ben Carson at the end of October. My regular job is in the mortgage banking world, and uh, HUD is somebody I deal with on a quite frequent basis. Um, There was a little bit of uh, controversy initially towards the end of last year. The Obama administration announced they were going to drop uh, mortgage insurance premiums by a fairly significant amount, um, 0.25 basis, 25 basis points or 0.25%, which on a $200,000 loan amount would be about $50 a month. The problem was this really hadn't been vetted uh, as far as whether it was going to be good financially for HUD. HUD has a uh, what's called a capital ratio, which means they have to keep a certain amount of money in reserves in case loans start going bad, kind of like they did back in 2007, 2008, and 2009. And it was um, debatable whether or not HUD was adequately funded. And I actually wrote an article about this. I personally did not think at the time that HUD was adequately funded and it would be good for uh, the the Trump administration to put a pause uh, on this... um, on this endeavor, just to make sure they could come in, take a look at the books, because you know one administration leaves, another comes in, and maybe the numbers don't exactly match up. I, I think we should have probably had some forensic accounting look at a lot of the uh, Obama administration missives to uh, see what was going on. But uh, as we've mentioned, we do have a very crowded race here in the uh, gubernatorial uh, segment uh, for the the Georgia Republican Party. And the Democrats also have their own. They have uh, uh, two Stacys running that are both about the same age. And uh, both are got their their fan bases on the Democrat side. On the Republican side, we have uh, Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, Secretary of State Brian Kemp, uh, Hunter Hill running, and... um, who's been a state senator in Georgia District 6, uh, as well as state senator Michael Williams. And there's a couple others that have also announced a guy named, I think his last name is Tippins, who was a uh, Navy SEAL and don't know a whole lot about him, but uh, certainly he'll be on the radar. And then there was another gentleman, I can't recall his name right this second, but uh, he is uh, author of a book and is apparently... um, running on the GOP side as well. So like I said, very crowded field. We'll know more after qualifying. It does cost a lot of money to actually run for governor. So if you haven't raised any money when you have to write a check for $5,000 to put your name on the ballot, that can give pause to a few people. But uh, at any rate, we've got our friend Todd Ream from GeorgiaPundit.com who has called in. Todd, welcome back to Greg's. How are you? I'm uh, I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Greg. Hey, no problem, man. Been a been a little while. Um, I've been out of the office uh, for the past uh, few segments myself, just having to catch up with uh, with life and deal with our little tropical storm that uh, had our power. My power actually came back pretty quick. I know yours was out for several days. It was fun. People were kind of keeping up with me and my Comcast dilemma, and we were keeping up with you and your power dilemma, which uh, I believe a wise man named Confucius said one must have power before have internet <laughs> so, we were uh down for four days that's crazy man i mean uh although we, you look we kind of reverted to uh to our savage selves 
I was about to say, kind of fun over here for a while. Were you on? Um, I, I'll tell you this: my, my wife and I, when we bought our house, we had a debate about whether to get a gas or electric stove. And I was like, "Let's get electric, you know, it'll be easier. We won't have to deal with having the gas company come hook it up, all that." Well, so we're out of power that first night, and sure enough, our gas stove works just fine. So we had very nice uh, home cooked macar or uh, spaghetti that night. And my wife did the uh, "I told you so" look to me several times. So so um, <laughs> we, we have a gas stove. The problem was the oven would not work because the oven is electronically controlled. So we could we could cook stuff on the cooktop. Right. Uh, so somewhat limited. So mac and cheese, soup, chili, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, it was it was it was workable. I I can't complain that much, but yeah, but I do. Right. Well, it's one of those things where when you do lose what's now, can, it's not really even a luxury to have power, but uh, what anybody from 150 years ago would certainly call luxury. But when you lose it, you lose your uh, almost everything, all of your capabilities. And you published in the morning newsletter, Georgia Pundit, I'm sure. I, I don't even know if that was able to be done. My power and Internet was off, so I'm going back in my emails from that week and kind of seeing what I missed. Because we're in a little bit of a dead space where I live, so I literally had to leave my house and try to go tether um, to get online. I, I felt like I was like a, a, a submarine captain off of the uh, the coast of Russia. You know, I got to go to Periscope Death. I got depth. I've got to get this message out. But uh, I was uh, in some shady parking lots in Clarkston um, doing some <laughs> late night oh, work. Yeah, it was it was fun. Speaking of fun, we've got an exciting uh, gubernatorial race coming up, and we've got some other heated battles. Uh, what's kind of your general Outlook for uh, for the next uh, few months in the Georgia GOP. The state party just came out with a series of forums. Um, my count is we have six announced candidates on the GOP. I named all of them except for the guy that's wrote a book, and I can't remember his name right this second. Which I guess that's not a good sign for him. But is that your Casey count? Wrote, Casey Cagle wrote a book. Uh, his was about schooling and children, but this one, this guy is, I believe he's a veteran. Um, anyway, I can't remember his name, Mark Marchand or something like that, but, uh, is that your, Arbach? yes, that's it. He, it's, it's funny because nobody else could, can spell his name or remember his name, which is why he only got five votes as a write-in presidential candidate in 2016. <laughs> he only got five votes that counted. There were some that were cast for him. So, okay, so he's run for as a presidential candidate. Um, uh, off, okay, well. Not guess, that you would know it. But I, guess that, I guess that shows the serious nature of his campaign, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we could say we have four serious ones, and then Tippins, uh, he looks fairly serious. I don't, I, like I said, I don't know much about him. He's kind of a... He's never had any political experience, some uh, some very highly uh, regarded military as far as being a Navy SEAL. Uh, that, to me, is not – I just think you have a real hard time running to be the CEO of the state of Georgia with, with no political experience. When David Perdue ran for U.S. Senate, a little bit different. U.S. Senate's one out of 100. Um, it's not necessarily a, a you know, day-to-day CEO type position of um, of government, so I, you know, I know people saw his victory and think, oh wow, I don't have to have any experience and I can win. I do think the governor's mansion is a little different. What do you think? Uh, you know, I think the bigger the the impediment that not having a political background uh, presents, in my opinion, is fundraising. 
I think the the buy-in to be considered a serious candidate is going to be $3 million. Um, and if you, if you don't have any experience as a political candidate, you're not going to have a fundraising, the kind of fundraising network that can raise you that kind of money, unless there's something else going on in your life, unless you were a reality TV star, unless you are <laughs> independently wealthy. And the fellow looks from the reports I've read to be to have some level of affluence but there's a difference between living an affluent life living in a good neighborhood all that fun stuff and having three million dollars liquid that you can write a check and actually have it honored by the bank <laughs> right basically the uh, the self-funder is what they're referred to yeah and so I think I think if you're if you to the extent that you're self-funding to the extent that you're raising money I think to be a serious candidate it's going to take three million dollars and that's going to be hard for somebody without some sort of network um, that lends itself to rapid deployment of other people's money. Right. Well, because Cagle came in as the, the leader with the first round of fundraising at $2.7 million. Kemp had uh, $1.7, and Hunter Hill was at a million, and uh, Michael Williams, I guess, is trying to... I guess he's saying he's a self-funder for now. His 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 campaign reported a one million dollar uh, loan, um, so he he potentially could have three million of his own. Um, I'm guessing, but I, I'm thinking that he probably wants to raise some as well. The other three all have pretty solid fundraising networks um, put together, and I can see. I mean, Cagle probably has already amassed the three million. Now, does, are you saying they'll need three million on hand, or just three million total to spend during this? Because you know the burn rate is what a lot of folks yeah, are looking I mean, I, at. I think they'll I think they'll have to have raised what I'm looking for is three million dollars or in that neighborhood um, in the next one or two disclosures because we go to we go to more frequent disclosures when we get into the election year. Right. Um, but by March you need to have you need to be spitting distance of three million bucks. If you've raised three point two and you've spent Three hundred thousand dollars, and so you're sitting on two point nine. I think that that's that's you're in the ballpark, right? Um, I think another interesting twist for the self funders is the extent to which the state ethics commission. They say they're going to start auditing um, campaign disclosures. Does that mean they're going to ask for bank statements? Um, because as it is. I could say that I'm donating a billion dollars to my own <laughs> campaign for Dog Catcher in Brookhaven, <laughs> and there's no check on that. There's no check on my saying that. Mm -hmm. Nobody asks for your bank balance. Right. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not suggesting anyone has lied. I'm just simply suggesting the way it's been historically, you can get away with that. Yeah, I mean, and well, for me, if somebody says that they've loaned themselves a million dollars, then we would see their spending over the next couple cycles, right? I mean, is that kind of what you would be like? If somebody comes in with the headline of one million dollars, but it's a loan, that's beat up pretty good by the the media and the bloggers and everybody. Nobody really is like, oh wow, they've really raised a million dollars from a bunch of different people. They're like, well, if somebody says they wrote a million dollar check. That to me always comes with a little caveat, you know, grain of salt. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the, the the question is, 
twofold question. You can be worth $30 million on paper, legitimately worth $30 million, and not be able to write a $3 million check. Um, in fact, if you're worth $30 million on paper, you probably shouldn't be able to write a $3 million check um, because I, you know, you just don't have that a need for that much liquid cash sitting in an account not making money. Um, and so the, the willingness to actually spend it, I think we'll see. But we're at the point in the campaign where if you see a lot of visible spending, that's one. That's a different kind of red flag. Um, everybody should have, you know, a few enough signs to make uh, an impact when they go to do a the Dunwoody Parade or whatever. <laughs> everybody should have a website. Everybody should have at least one staffer. That's not the kind of spending that where it really takes uh, the fortitude to to put your own money in the account and start spending it now. Um, so, you know, it's going it's yeah. to be an interesting dynamic. And Well, Todd, frankly, let's, take, let's take our break here because we're coming up, so I want to circle back with you on that and also to see where, as somebody that's run statewide campaigns, where you think the most efficient uh, deployment of resources is. We're with Todd Ream, GeorgiaPundit.com. You're listening to Gregsist. We'll finish up with him on the other side of the break. The <clears throat> disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's This Live. We're chatting with Todd Ream, GeorgiaPundit.com, about the uh, governor's race in Georgia and the deployment of uh, money and resources. So, uh, Todd, uh, I kind of cut you off in the mid in mid thought, but you were talking about um, what you would be looking at right now, I guess, as far as you know, front running governor candidates or ones that are managing their finances well. And, and you basically said, um, you know, that, that may, uh, a small staff, uh, some yard signs, some I guess general campaign infrastructure. Uh, are, are you advertising on social media? You might be in a limited way. You might be trying to make an impression in a specific group. If being pro-life is one of the one of the major parts of your platform, 
you might try to figure out how to get to pro-life voters early. Um, or you might be trying to target folks who have been at past um, state conventions, like the alternate delegate list, right. which is so prized. <laughs> yeah. um, you might upload that to Facebook, uh, the email list to Facebook, and target them, because unless there's something weird about an individual, they're not thinking about 2018 elections. Your, your, any advertising you're going to do is you've got to figure out why, who has a reason to care about me or my race 18 months out. And who and also maybe who has who has influence because I have noticed uh, Cagle and Kemp have been very adept at getting a lot of um, you know county officials and kind of locally respected people sheriffs I, I think those are good uh, uh, campaign endeavors for them to go ahead and lock those local endorsements up because they yeah. those types do mean something right I don't think celebrity endorsements necessarily mean much obviously we saw you know in the CD6 election several you know big name celebrities or, or politicians like Marco Rubio endorsed Judson Hill, but um, that really didn't pan out to, to be of too much value. But I do think these local guys, uh, Karen Handel ended up having a lot of the local. They had Sandy Springs City Council, a lot of Fulton County government folks, or uh, Roswell City. She just had a ton of local endorsements, and we saw that that carried her to a pretty big victory over her Republican opponents. But you shouldn't be spending money on that. Yeah, absolutely, <clears throat> you should be targeting those folks. But... There, there are so few, and what any given elected official, appointed official, whatever, wants to know about is going to be so specific to them that you've got to go collect those endorsements on a one-to-one basis, and it shouldn't cost you anything more than, your, than the candidate's time and maybe some staff time in terms of following up. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot of stuff that I can say gosh, I'd go buy $100,000 worth of this today right. for an election that's either, you know, what, eight months off or... 15 months Yeah, because I mean, the direct mail, obviously the Republican primary voter, that universe is much smaller than what the general election is going to be. So, um, you know, the direct mail pieces probably start going out in uh, March after qualification, maybe April, because the, the election, I'm sure, will be in May um, for the primary. And, uh, 22nd, I believe. Oh, they've already put that on the calendar. Okay, cool. I'm, see, I'm still in 2017. <laughs> So they, you know, that that's the the good part is that um, you know you don't have to send it out to two million voters, right? You can probably four. I guess if we had five hundred thousand, well, I don't know what was uh, when we had the the Senate race between uh, Kingston, Purdue, and everybody else. That was what six or seven hundred thousand people voted in that primary, something like that. I want to say closer to a million. A million? Okay, well, so that's still a million houses you got to try to hit. Um, you know, in a governor's and, and race... The question is, the question is, which million do you hit? Right? I mean, that's that's where you get into the question of targeting and, and trying to predict based on what you know about individuals, whether they're likely to vote. And right. Based on how much money you have to spend making the decisions whether you're going to hit more people, some of whom are less likely to vote, or if you're going to hit fewer people, um, all of whom are more likely to vote. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a nerve-wracking uh, yeah. 
because it's the, uh, it's you know unlike and and I think that this these amounts of money that me and you were talking about here I think this really puts into perspective how much money John Ossoff had in his race that thirty million dollars it you know on a federal level thirty million doesn't sound like much but when you were writing about um, you know his 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 tallies when you were talking about eight million reasons why Republicans need to worry and some of the other headlines that you had I think that now we're seeing how much money that really was. Well, but I, I think you have to be careful to distinguish between money that the campaign spent directly and money that was spent on their behalf, because a campaign will almost always make better spending decisions than a Washington-based group or, uh, you know, just some, some random group of ideologues. Like the Planned Parenthood uh, uh, pinkies for him. Was, they <laughs> probably cared about John Ossoff. They care more about Planned Parenthood. Right. So they were they were looking at what's going to get, what's going yeah. to help them the most, while also being part of that. Yeah. Awesome. And what was fascinating for me to see on that was when I was working out in the field, they had their own door to door deployment, and they were putting their pink flyers on power Republican voters. And I thought that that was probably a, a mistake, a miscalculation, because if you end up waving the red flag in front of you know Republicans, whether or not they're excited about the 11 GOP candidates that we had on the ballot, they're going to be real excited to vote against Planned Parenthood. <laughs> so. Not necessarily. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I, I think that to the extent that pro-choice Republicans exist in the state of Georgia, I think they're going to be heavily concentrated in parts of the 6th District and the neighboring parts of Fulton County. If you looked at Beth Beskin's district, Megan Hansen's district, maybe uh, Scott Holcomb's district, um, maybe Tom Taylor's district, that's where you're going to have, I think, the heaviest concentrations of, of pro-choice Republican voters. Mm. And so if you were in my neighborhood in the uh, the southernmost tip of the of the sixth district. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that, that I, I I think for Planned Parenthood it wasn't an entirely crazy idea um, that they might be hitting some uh, some Republican pro pro choice voters. Right. That said if John Ossoff had those spending decisions to make himself, his campaign probably would have done differently. And so that's why I say a dollar spent on your campaign by somebody else isn't the same as a dollar that your campaign spent itself. Right. Well, and that's the that's the thing is, you know, we also have, I think the Democrats are really going to, if I was them, I would pick one of the constitutional offices and really go after that one. I've said that a few times before, but uh, I did see John Barrow announced for Secretary of State, and he's a big enough name that was uh, always able to hang on to his seat until we, we really redistricted back in 2010. Um, he was always able to hold on to his seat, so he has some some cross uh, or crossing the aisle appeal. He's a pretty big name for Secretary of State. Uh, the Republicans have four announced candidates that are all, um, I think, qualified and that are all, uh, you know, very serious about their race. And that's one where you know the I think a million dollars would be a, a huge amount for any one of them. And you know that's one that's one or two mailers plus a staff. So you and a Secretary a statewide race like that, you've got to rely more on uh, 
you know, a grassroots network, and also probably everybody's favorite robocalls. I, I think if you, um, if I were in charge of the Democratic Party, um, I, I would do exactly what you're saying. I, I would aim for one of those second tier offices, and I'd aim for one of the one of the even less uh, high profile second tier offices because a half a million dollars in a race like that is more is likely more than the Republicans would be able to raise. Um, Are you talking about public ser- like, public service commissioner, labor secretary, or something? I mean, because I don't really know what else would be lower. Than- well, as somebody who has clients on the public service commission, I'm going to say that they're all absolutely undefeatable. So it would, <laughs> it would be silly to run for that. But something like insurance commissioner, uh, if you if you want to make a stink about expansion of Medicaid, if you want to make a stink about Obamacare, if you want to talk about holding these insurance companies uh, responsible. Uh, for caring for people while they're making record uh, profits. The place to do that is the insurance commissioner's office, I think. And if you look historically, $400,000 has been about the most that a non-incumbent can raise. Um, And if you were to be able to find some sexy young... um, social justice warrior who could get some of that grassroots daily co's kind of money yep. that John Ossoff got. Um, if you could get just a just a portion of what Ossoff actually raised from the internet, from progressive ideologues, you could make a real run at something like insurance commissioner. And you could use it as a it's a great platform for talking about a lot of the issues that the um, Democrats want to talk about, as well as it opens fundraising opportunities for the state party and all kinds of stuff. Well, that's a good point. So um, let's hope they're not strategic. I I prefer to see them duking it out and uh, alienating uh, pretty much everybody with their uh, Stacey battle and um, letting whoever wins the Republican nomination win that easily. So let's not give them any ideas. I'm kidding. We like to speculate here. We like to analyze stuff. And uh, at the end of the day, Democrats are not our enemies. They are uh, the opposition and the ways of implementing things that we think will impact our economy. But uh, we in the state of Georgia can't print money, so we do have to sit down with our our friends from across the aisle at the end of the day. Uh, Todd Ream, georgiapundit.com. Thank you, as always, for calling in, and I appreciate everybody listening today, and um, I think we we, we covered some really good material, and obviously, I always loving to speculate about the elections for all of you politically addicted like me. Todd Ream, Georgia Pundit, thanks for calling in. Thank you, Greg. And we appreciate you guys listening in. We had Carolyn uh, Fisher from the State Party. We don't forget about the Georgia GOP event at the end of October with Dr. Ben Carson, the Secretary of HUD and former presidential candidate, big name, uh, big guest. And the ticket prices for that have been lowered from the normal $250 to $150. I know $150 is still pretty steep, but at the end of the day, folks, this is a fundraiser. So part of your money is going to fund the Georgia Republican Party, which will be working very hard to protect all of our vulnerable Republicans against their left-wing opponents this next session. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Greg. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 